0: You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app.
1: Hello and welcome to the Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. We here at Marketing Futures are dedicated to keeping you, dear listener, abreast of all the latest trends and disruptions affecting our industry. With that in mind, I'm excited to introduce you to Aaron Berghardt, Creative Strategy Director at Storyhorse. Aaron joined the pod to unpack Storyhorse's rundown report, which looks at the pressures that are changing marketing and the world at large. This year's edition of the report covered the rising appeal of escapism in uncertain times, the dismantling of a binary gender system, and, shockingly, AI. Let's start the show. Everyone, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures virtual podcast studio, and we've got a a great all-encompassing episode today. I think this is one of those that, you know, it's gonna be a full service discussion. Uh, I know our listeners love that. So please help me welcome to the pod, Aaron Berghard, Creative Strategy Director for Storyhorse. Aaron, thank you so much for being part of the pod today.
0: No, appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure.
1: Um, Now, as I said, we're going to cover a lot of ground, so I want to dive right in, but I like to kind of set a level for our listeners. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to becoming the creative strategy director at Storyhorse?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been in the industry, the kind of brand adjacent industry for a little over 18 years. I sort of cut my teeth in packaging design and branding. Um, I got to work with a lot of amazing brands at a lot of amazing times, um, including getting to, you know, I got to work on the Old Spice rebrand at a time when that was hot. And it was really fun. I loved it. But, uh, you know, after working within packaging design for about eight years, I kind of wanted to make a shift. I wanted to uh, I really wanted to get at a point in the process where decisions that were being made, strategies that were being implemented, had monumental shifts to brands. Mm-hmm. So I looked around and I found myself in innovation consulting. I did that for <laughs> I did that for another seven years. Got to again work with some amazing clients, including some bucket list ones like Adidas, and it was a great time. But oh, I awesome. kept I kept trickling brand strategy in what I'm doing, even in the innovation space. <laughs> so I realized. Mm-hmm look, this is in my DNA, Um, but I had so many amazing learnings there from doing design thinking and all these kind of research first approaches. So I wanted to bring it back. I wanted to bring it back into the brand side. So I looked around much like the brands I was working on. I wanted to find an agency that um, also the decisions we made had monumental shifts on where they were going. So I was looking for smaller shops and I found Storyhorse and it was a perfect fit because it's small by headcount, sure, but it's a part of a bigger collective. It's called the EA Collective. And along mm-hmm. with Studio Sage, Agency EA, these are our sister agencies. We have this amazing pool of talent that can be tapped on a project by project basis. And beyond that, even though they're a small agency, they're not trying to figure out how to keep things afloat or run things or the operational side. It's all sorted. Oh, that's right? a blessing. So it's amazing. So it. It was the perfect spot that had a lot of flexibility and structure that I think most boutique agencies could only dream of. And beyond that, the talent here was incredible. So that's how I found myself here.
1: That's fantastic. And God, yeah, that is an amazing balance that you're not kind of trying to stand out in an ocean, but you're also not spinning plates, you know, for 90% of the day. Uh, That is a sweet spot, and I'm very glad you found it. And I do, I actually love that, you know, imbuing strategy with kind of more open-minded, open horizon thinking. I think that that's a really great thing because, you know, I think strategy, especially the bigger the brand you get, can be kind of pulled down by legacy and, you know, something working is there So you don't want to move it, but you, you know, the possibilities of what if that uh, obviously come from kind of helping brands find their innovation, find their disruption. That sounds like a a pretty delicious recipe for uh, where you are right now.
0: Yeah, it's it's great. And being able to kind of mix all those worlds together, it's been really fun and it's been really rewarding.
1: Fantastic. The conversation we're about to have is, uh, is stems from a very, very cool annual report that Storyhorse puts out, The Rundown. But before I get ahead of myself, could you just give us a little bit of a kind of background, a history of where this report emanated from and how it's evolved over the years?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so The Rundown is our annual report that's on the biggest pressures that are facing brand today. And so... Most are probably familiar with things like trend reports. They're very common in the industry, but where a trend report, an agency is sort of looking out into the world, seeing the solutions that are made or what's happening and connecting the dots and, and really talking about the similarities, uh, the rundown comes from a place of wanting to flip that. We wanted to figure out what are the challenges that our clients are constantly facing. And what keeps coming up against them? And then can we find brands that are actually starting to take those challenges and turn them into opportunities in really interesting and fascinating ways and highlight them up? So that was sort of the impetus of the rundown. And it's been it was launched back in 2021. It's constantly growing and evolving every year. We um, sort of look back at previous years and we're like, what were we really on to? What did what would really, really mm-hmm. crack what felt meaty? Um, And we start to kind of continuously shift it to make it applicable to the audience. And look, it's it's one of those reports where I don't think someone's going to read it and every single thing's going to resonate with them. It can't. They're not all going to be applicable in your industry. But the goal of it is to have each reader look through them and have at least one thing pop out and make them question, how are we going to face that? How are we going to address that challenge to get ahead of it so that they can start having those conversations as early as possible?
1: That makes a lot of sense. So let's dive right in. You feeling
0: it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So I know you just said that not everything's going to apply or be relevant to everyone, but let's start with a topic that's going to be relevant to a large, large section of the marketing world, whether they want it to be or not. I don't think any of my listeners don't already know what I'm talking about. Generative AI, it's all AI, everything. Obviously the rise of generative AI is changing the landscape of creativity. we can get excited about what one day will be possible, but I want to give our listeners something they can take away today. What are the most successful ways marketers are leveraging AI today to enhance their creative efforts? I know it can do a lot of stuff, but let's zero in on, on what's happening today in AI creativity.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good place to start because I, I do think that generative AI for both, both visual or written, um, it's been an incredible tool, uh, really If you use it at the right part of the process, that's the caveat I'll give, Yes, right? You have to be at the widening part of this creative funnel when you maybe aren't sure exactly where things are headed, you're figuring them out, that sort of quantity over quality part of the process. If you use it at that moment, I found it to be amazing. So, you know, if you're in brainstorms and you're using it to quickly... Um, visualize some potential pathways to kind of vote on or see what's uh, feeling right. Or if you're sitting down to write a thought piece and you're using it to help you frame that outline or kind of the order of it and start from there. Those are the moments when it's great, when you don't want the output to be the end all be all. Yes. And what I'd like to say to people really about it is that I don't look to AI to do the creative thinking for me. I look to it to inspire the creative thinking within me. And so as long Mm. as we're going in with that mindset, it's great. But I mean, you know, beyond that, like there are more tactical uses in it. Things like the Photoshop generative fill tool has been great, right? If you got a super cool. Yeah. You got an image and you don't have enough background information. It's vertical. You want a horizontal. Um, There are very practical things like that that are allowing people to, have more options in the way that they're using the assets. But again, you're using it as the background element, not as the foreground. You're you're helping it supplement what you want to create versus trying to create through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's an inelegant analogy, but it's a it's a hammer. It's a tool. You know what I mean? The second you're trying to like sit it next to you at the desk is when you're going to get into trouble. But yeah, if you kind of, and I love the way you put it, like if you use it at the right part of the process, it can be a really invaluable help and just give you so much more time back to do the strategic creative things that it is going to be years and years, if ever, that it's even going to be able to take a swing at. So love all of that. So we've got the great stuff on uh, AI, but as AI generated content becomes more sophisticated, there are concerns about misinformation and authenticity. So how do you envision brands maintaining their unique voice and authenticity in a world filled more and more with AI generated content?
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about hot topics. Uh, (laughs) It, look, the reality is the bar has never been lower for someone to come in and create very believable content it's true um mm-hmm. and it raises a lot of real fear around this um whether it's spreading disinformation or whether it's losing brand equity uh, a lot of people are really scared on on what that could lead to and all you need to do is if you look on job postings risk management is <laughs> is flooding the boards if you look on you know new tools that are coming out uh there's AI detection software that's really starting to gain like a lot of people are trying to figure out what's the first line of defense against this and they're thinking of it in a combative sense and look there's you definitely need to have some things in place around that um sure a good kind of risk management strategy adopting into those AI detection tools but Also, um, there's a lot of opt-out mechanics that are being built into some of these tools, and it does take some understanding to know what you can sign in for. But I think at the end of the day, beyond everything you can do and more of a pushback, I think it comes down to really good branding, consistency in your story and what you're telling across channels. Because, look, if... What you're saying and everything that you're doing is stemming out from the same place, then an outlier is going to stand out a lot more. And the muddier you make your waters, the easier it's going to be for something unwelcome to just sort of blend in.
1: The Certified ANA Marketing Professional, or CAMP, program is a rigorous 35-hour online certification program developed specifically with the ANA marketer in mind. Covering the entire marketing process, from brand strategy and activation to marketing implementation across digital and analytic platforms, CAMP represents the full spectrum of the marketing universe. To begin your certification, go to ana.net slash CAMP future. We're going to kind of make a hard left from kind of the, the, this AI-generated world to the real world outside of it and pressures is a very good way to describe a lot of what is going on nowadays. And so there is um, one of the pressures is kind of anywhere but here. Mm. Escapism is nothing new, but this, this idea of escapism through the multiverse is a really captivating idea so how can brands get in on the active action and effectively tap into this trend to create immersive experiences and engage their audiences on a deeper level i think this is an opportunity a lot of people see this and like there's a lot of negativity and a lot of anxiety but there really is an opportunity to be that kind of relief that salve
0: yeah absolutely and you know when you think about it brand what is it if not world building in many ways Mm -hmm. and Producing some kind of new world for your audience to dive into even for a day is exciting, but building that world from the ground up is exhausting and inefficient and difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Meta's metaverse, for instance, right? That's a long project, a lot of dollars, and it's it's really hard to pull off. So I I think instead, if brands are looking to dip their toes into this experience, uh, I would think more in the sense of maybe verse hopping. So by that, I mean, can you find another brand out there who's offering an experience um, completely different to your own that you can work together with and sort of cross-share these worlds so that your audience gets to live somewhere else for a day? And now, I don't mean let's just find the polar opposite and let's work with them and it's going to be amazing and, oh, there'll be a shock factor and everyone will love it. No, you, you need to have a really good strategy at the core or it'll just... Be wild and make no sense to your audience. But if you can find someone who is aligned to your brand from a mission statement, from Mm -hmm. a core branding statement, what they want to do in the world, if you can find synergy there, but then experience wise, find someone who's doing something completely opposite, then you have a recipe for something really incredible because you're both trying to do the same thing, you're just doing it in different ways. And so If you can identify those brands out there in the world and you can start to create experiences together, even if momentary, it's going to scratch that itch for your audience of doing that kind of multiverse experience and verse hopping and um, you can have really amazing results because... Look, I mean, I don't think anyone asked for a Peeps flavored Pepsi, but I'm I'm happy (laughs) it's out there and it's fun. And Mm -hmm. and you're starting to introduce people not only to other brands, but you're also kind of, you're getting to have fun within your own brand. And I think it's, it's very important. So yeah, I would say, look to the missions, look to what people are trying to accomplish and then find someone doing what you're trying to do. I love
1: that. I, and it's kind of like giving a dim, different dimension in, in your brand in a way that's going to track logically, Absolutely. Uh, you know, variation on a theme. And yeah, and I do, I love, it's just the idea of Peeps and Pepsi coming together. You might not even be the target audience, but that is, there's whimsy in that. And that is just a halo effect. So very cool. I, I really love that kind of triangulating by mission. And then seeing what in the tactical strategy category, something, what is, what's different on the surface, but the same underneath very, very cool. Mm-hmm. So now metaverse it's, it's going to be taking a nap for a while, but it is certainly not going anywhere. And I like to say that people overestimate what can be done in a year and underestimate what can be done in 10. So as escapism does continue to reach new heights because there's there are incredible immersive experiences coming out you know that city on a hill everything's interconnected thing we're going to need to wait a little bit on that but still this this escapism through virtual world is continuing is uh increasing in quality how do you foresee brands addressing the potential challenges of addiction and maintaining a balance between virtual experiences and real life engagement? I mean, we're still already just on the little phone and people are falling into the rabbit hole. When technology allows that to really become more uh, immersive and more all encompassing, how do you hit that, that balance?
0: Yeah, addiction is a very tricky one and I'm, I'm gonna back into this answer a bit here, but um, I wanna focus on the latter part of that, that you said, that balance. Mm -hmm. I do think that it is the answer in some ways. Um, And I think now more than ever, brands are feeling an incredible pressure on their real life experiences to live up to this counterpart or something in the virtual world, which is hard. Like the reality is there's so many tools you can use in the virtual world from targeting your audience, learning data from it, constantly improving that are making it not only easier to really cater, but also making it very simple ROIs to invest in. So um, there's an attractiveness there, but I I do want to to really zero in on this one singular caveat, which is a virtual experience creates a virtual relationship. Mm. It's a parasocial dynamic, right? And so brands are built on the relationships they're building. And if you're only or you're putting too much stock into more of a parasocial-like relationship, it's fleeting. Um look at Instagram brands. People can adopt one as their brand for a day and then switch on to another one the next day because the connection's exciting and it's very fun, but there's no real kind of a connection beneath it. And I think that true connection is actually starting to get undervalued. So I think the brands that find the balance and strike the balance between the virtual and real life experiences are going to win out in the end because brands that last are built on genuine connection. And I'm hoping that because that inherently creates timelessness amongst a brand that hopefully that will be a good tool in the combativeness of Um, something like the addictive behaviors, because just like the parasocial building a relationship on an addiction is also not a wonderful place to start either. So um, that's how I like to kind of break it down and think of it.
1: I love it. Yeah. It's kind of the opportunity to help your customers touch grass in a, you know, uh, for, for more or less of a word. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but are there some brands you've seen doing great stuff in the real life engagement lately in this kind of virtual craze
0: yeah there's there's quite a few brands and um one that i i guess the first one that came to my mind um liquid death is a fun one to follow so anyone who's not should just because um doing a lot of fun things but as much as they're doing In a digital environment and posting these things, there is such a strong physical pull from pop ups to crazy tangible products that they keep releasing to, to make more of a physical connection so that it's not just this kind of digital existing in its own kind of little chamber brand, and whether it's, you know, a giant ridiculous Halloween costume of their beerhead can guy or a limited edition fridge that's on there. Like from a product standpoint, they're releasing some really cool stuff. And then they're just doing all these kind of crazy pop-up takeovers too that are are starting to put their brand in your neighborhood and, and let it be something you discover as you walk by. And I think that um the physical physical location discovery is so rare these days that it's a really fun and it really takes you offside. So I I I would say look into that brand and see a lot of the engagements they're doing. They're having a lot of fun with it.
1: Yeah, that is such a terrific example. And I remember I discovered them. I don't think I'm a little uh, aged out of their target audience, but I discovered them through an online musician, Mark Rebier and i remember very early in the lockdown the pandemic lockdown yes he was coming through virtual streaming but you were in his room it was a very like real life tangible feeling experience um and so yeah that that kind of that partnership made perfect sense it put them on my radar and it's a good you know if you're not Familiar with them, look them up. It's a very interesting kind of case study and how you can deliver real life feeling experiences on a virtual level. So, really great. Um, Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Um, So, again, this uh, the rundown report is such a wide encapsulating thing that there are so many different topics to cover that I'd like to kind of move on to another one. Um, And segue for the week, this is the, this is something very real world, you know, we're we're taking it back out of virtual into something that is very real uh, in our society, and that is dismantling a binary system. And what I mean by that is gender subversion is an emerging trend. It is not new in our society, but it is kind of getting on the radar of more mainstream people, channels, everything. How do you see brands successfully embracing this concept and catering to a diverse and inclusive audience?
0: Yeah, it's 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 a hard one, and for a lot of people, unfortunately, an uncomfortable one. But I think mm-hmm. you're spot on in the question that it it starts by dismantling the notion of binary. And I've been a designer for many years. And the amount of times that <laughs> I have been told a color or a pattern is too quote unquote feminine or masculine, it's, it's rampant. It's always in the industry. And um, there's not actually an understanding that it is a spectrum because if you are just sitting there and creating a product, creating anything and specifically targeting it to a single gender, by default, you're excluding a large number of people. And so mm-hmm. I'll use an example um, from the deodorant category because I'd say for the past probably seven, eight years, I've been shopping in, again, the quote-unquote female section for deodorant. And why? Because there's a peach scent there. I think it's incredible. Smells good on me. I love it, right? And why Why can't I find that in the brands that I used to shop for why is everything you know mahogany or spruce or charcoal (laughs) yeah and it's it's because the actual product itself the technology that's in the stick or in the bars they're nearly identical the only thing we're changing is the wrapper around it and who we're trying to segment it to but Mm. there are some brands that are beginning to blur these lines in meaningful ways and for a long time, the trend has been gender neutrality. We've been talking about that for years. I want to stress this is this is a step further. This isn't neutrality. Yes. This is actually kind of breaking duality. <laughs> yeah. and so a good example is something like uh, the Fluid Project. And that's that's Fluid with a PH. Um, they're a gender-free clothing company. And they're making amazing designs. It's a great product. But when you go to their website, you're not shopping the men's collection or the women's collection. You're shopping their collection. That's all. Everything is mixed in together. It's a singular experience. And I think that's a step in the right direction. And it's maybe hard for a lot of brands to figure out how to start. How do we begin doing that? But I think, again, just the understanding that only marketing and targeting two specific genders on a huge spectrum means that you are isolating a massive amount of our population. And the younger generations, their mindsets are shifting towards this. They're they're more understanding of this maybe than some of us on the older side, but um, the shopping behaviors are changing with it. And I think that brands need to listen, learn and adopt and shift with them, uh, or they're gonna start realizing that who they're marketing to is a very small amount.
1: Before we move on to some questions, we ask all of our guests. If people are intrigued by the rundown and want to learn more about Story Horse and want to keep up with what you, Aaron, are doing, where can we find all that good stuff on the internet?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh just go to storyhorsebranding.com. You'll find everything there from, you know, thought articles that we put out to our own podcasts where we talk about brands as well, as well as the rundown, which we're talking about now, and you can you can get your hands on the report pretty easily. So I encourage you all to check it out.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. So, like I said, moving on to some questions, we like to ask everybody and, and this is pretty well connected to what we were just talking about. What are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. I mean, (laughs) I'm for it. (laughs) No, I'm uh, (laughs) no, I mean to really break it down um, when it, When it comes to brands, I'll look through it through that lens. EEI initiatives, I mean, they need to be a top priority. I think that's unquestionable. But I think a lot of brands suffer coming off as virtue signalers, which Mm. is to say that something that they're supporting or doing or putting out in the world externally doesn't exactly match the story that is happening internally or behind closed doors and it's a bad look. And I, I think too many times brands look at something like DEI as an outward initiative. They look mm-hmm. outward in where can we help? Where can we participate? Versus looking inward and actually understanding how they may be a part of the barriers in place. And that's that's not to say that people need to look inward and, and feel guilty and figure that. No, like everyone is in some way contributing to this kind of systemic problem we have and you have to start from this introspective place of figuring out how to improve yourself and once you start doing that then you can begin to look outward because when your stories don't match up your audience is smart they're they're gonna see it and Mm -hmm. you could do something that you think is amazing and great for the world and put it out there but it actually could have the opposite effect for your brand so I think it's a learning process. You have to be humble. You have to let go of ego and you have to really lead with empathy. And I think that doing the easy work, doing the surface level change, it's not going to win a brand any points. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the hard work, the things that take a long time, things that could be seen as internally disruptive and things that ultimately are decided on not from a financial ROI, but a human ROI. Yeah that's what's gonna make real change in the world.
1: Yeah, and you, I think you just nailed it as human, like how would you approach this yourself? You know what I mean? Would you, you know, to your friends and to your family and to the people who mean things to you, would you just try to find the best tagline or slogan or would you do the work on yourself? So I think that is incredibly well said uh, and thank you for your insights on that. Of course. So, Aaron, sometimes this is the easiest question on the pod, and sometimes this is the one that that our guests need the most time to work on. So, we're about to see which Marketing Futures podcast guest type you are. <laughs> Aaron Burkhardt, creative strategy director for Storyhorse. What is your favorite
0: album of all time and why? Oh, wow. Um Something immediately came to my mind, and I think this is gonna put me in a very interesting bucket of your listeners. But Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna go back in time here to late nineteen nineties ska for a minute. Um, because my favorite album of all time is by the Mad Caddies. And it's Oh called...
1: man, that's awesome. This, yeah,
0: it's called Quality Softcore. And I I'm gonna have to say why for sure on this one. <laughs> look, are they the best band of all time? No. Are the tracks on that album the best songs of all time? No. But for me, there is an emotional connection to that album that is undeniable. It immediately takes me back to a time where I just learned to drive. My windows are down. I'm listening to the music at a volume that I can't even listen to anymore. (laughs) And I still to this day remember every single lyric of that song without skipping a beat. And all I have to do is put it in, hit play, and I'm immediately back there. So, I, for uh, maybe no other reason than the emotional connection, I'm, I've, I got to go with that.
1: I absolutely love it. And, Aaron, um, you're in good company because, yeah, you know, I asked this question probably 90 times now, and, and somebody put me on the spot and asked me. And the answer is sublime by sublime. Oh, yes. It's because fantastic. it, It was like I I had spent my entire life uh, listening to the oldies because my dad controlled the car radio and that's when we listened to music and I love it and I'm actually grateful that I was raised on it. But the summer I started getting into current music is when Santeria and What I Got and all of those songs dropped and so... That kind of gave me this quantum leap into, you know, trying to be cool for the first time, still trying all these years later. But yeah, so I feel you exactly. Uh, Is it the best album I've ever heard? Absolutely not. But again, any of those songs come on. I know every word. I know every nuance of the track. So that's a great answer. And look, Uh, I'm going to just put it.
0: If we were having this conversation in my office, you would be seeing the record of that uh, on the wall right behind me. So uh, Sublime is also up there for me. So yeah, good company. We love it.
1: We love it. You are, yes, we love it. So let's finish off by bringing us up to the present. What are you listening to now, whether it's an artist, a song, a podcast, or a book, and why?
0: Yeah, um, I've been going down an interesting rabbit hole music-wise lately. uh, And that's because- I found a vinyl a couple of months ago. Um, It's from a Swedish musician who goes by the name of Wave Shaper. Mm. Uh, And I picked it up because the album artwork is incredible. I put it on and I fell in love with it. And what it is, is it's synthwave, which is a category of music I've never really dabbled in, but um, I have been absolutely falling into it. I've been putting together playlists of retro electro and dark wave mm. and basically all this kind of trancy 80s and horror movie inspired music That's that, dope. yeah it's been unlike anything i've listened to in the past and um look for me music most of the time is what do i have on in the background what gets me being creative and sort of what's giving me drive and right now um i'm in my my synthwave my synth wave era sorry
1: that is so cool. I it. Wave Shaper is it spelled like it, it sounds?
0: All one word, wave shaper. Yeah. Check out.
1: righty. I've got my afternoon listening. Uh Aaron, this was such a great conversation. We covered so much ground, but really the 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 insights and the perspective you gave, uh, I think is just gonna be invaluable for my listeners. So everybody get ready to hit repeat because we've come to the end of another episode of the Marketing Futures. Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us in two weeks when we'll discuss a new people-centric approach to agency holding companies with Meet the People's Tim Ringel. The Marketing Futures Podcast airs Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the pod? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. And... As always, find everything you need to prepare for the future of marketing at ana.net slash futures.
0: This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.